if you create a global incentive for the richest guys in the world to profit off of poverty, then you have no incentives to stop poverty. Okay, let me say that again. What we're doing here, what they are trying to do with this globalist agenda is create new markets that will give incentives to the richest people in the world to profit off of poverty. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. Today is part two of my reviewing the work of Allison McDowell. She is in Pennsylvania and she has done three hour talks with many, many people. I'll probably interview her, but only after I sort of lay out for you um, my take on her work. Because what I'm doing is I'm stripping out all of the names of the organizations and names of the people and the acts that were passed into law and all the deep dive stuff. And I'm really, what I'm wanting to do is getting you familiar with the language that the globalists are using, the tactics that the globalists are using, sort of giving you the high level and getting you familiar with the language of what's coming next, because it's, it's intended to be our new world. So where I left off in part one is that I gave you my theory, which is that the second virus will be where they finish off the economy so that they can waltz in with the great reset. And I don't know if Fauci is going to make it, you know, he's kind of the one who's out there with like the, the seed cloud, right? He's like, um, he's like the, what do you call it? Seed balloon for the next virus. He's out there talking about this mutant strain and that mutant strain. And I know recently he was talking about the swine flu. I can't remember where it was in the world, but he's, he's out there just keeping the panic high. I'm sure his handlers have just told him, you know, he's got to be one of the most controlled people in the world, right? Like he's just been told, he does whatever he he's told. He just dances like a puppet on the end of the strings. Um, but he's, he's probably going to be very pivotal in rolling out the big scary news about the next virus. But what I had just laid out is that I believe that they were setting up the infrastructure and the laws and the mental and physical conditioning where we all wear masks and we all agree to all this stuff. And we go to the grocery store and we stand six feet apart from anybody else. And if anybody comes within our little six foot bubble, we jump out of the way and all that, all that ridiculous stuff. So I think that that COVID was really just um, to do some serious damage to the economy towards the end game, but also, and to, to beta test a whole bunch of different things, but also just to get that infrastructure and set of laws that's happening at a, at the state level on all over the place. I mean, there's a lot of states right now who are trying to push uh, vaccine laws that take people's medical freedom away, the laws, and then just don't underestimate how powerful the conditioning was. We've had a lot of mental conditioning. A lot of people I know were super upset about this a year ago and they've just gotten tired. They're just kind of unplugged and they've just kind of accepted it. They're kind of laying down for it. And that's going to be our demise if we can't, uh, we can't turn that around. So that's what I had laid out that COVID was just the front for setting, setting all that up before the second virus comes in. But now I want to talk a little bit about how the great, great reset comes in. And 
one of the pieces of that is that you're going to have an avatar or like a body double, but in the um, augmented reality realm, right? And you're going to be with all this gamification going on, you'll be able to collect things for your avatar, not just because it's a fun game, although I think they might actually make it fun, um, but because eventually your physical self uh, needs these things. And, and this is kind of an easier way to understand transhumanism. If you've thought that transhumanism is where they kind of make us half robot, half human, that's really hard to wrap your brain around. I'm not entirely sure that I buy into that. It's, it's, it's even a little hard for me to understand. Um, you know, it's possible that these modified RNA vaccines are actually changing our DNA and, and accomplish a lot towards controlling you. I think they, have to get them in incrementally, you know, because they would kill us if they just put the two shots together. I mean, that's every single person in the Pfizer trial that took the high dose was severely ill. So I think that's probably why they had to spread it out into two doses because, and we'll talk about this um, a little bit later, where you are most valuable, where human beings are most valuable to pharma is also where human beings are going to be most valuable here in the gamification and the commodification of human beings, including, you know, um, gamifying and monetizing human misery and, and human suffering and human poverty. So um, this, this avatar of you that will live in the cloud is um, where their, their softwares learn us is going to be part of it. And it's very likely to contain us, not liberate us. Right. They may, Act like, and this is a lot of why I wanted to do this, is to just talk about how they're going to sell this to us with a lot of virtue washing. That's a great, that's just a great word, right? Virtue washing is they're going to tell us how wonderful this is and, and how, um, you know, they, they won't overdo it, but they'll kind of sell you on how bad the old system was and how they're really rescuing us. If we'll just trust, I saw a video about this that World Economic Forum put out. If we'll just trust the, the private um, public partnership, we just got to trust it, right? Like the Native Americans were, were told to trust the government. Come on, we're, we're, we're the government and we're here to help. What was that quote that the scariest words ever said in the human language were, we're, we're the government and we're here to help? Um, you know, one of the things that some people are predicting is that they'll develop glasses with the artificial intelligence so that you can tell using this, these high technology glasses or some other device, whether somebody is compliant or whether somebody is dangerous because they don't agree with the agenda. And and all this is in, you know, science fiction novels. I just read a handmaid's tale and I'll be mentioning some of the things from that, that I picked up on that I think are really relevant here. And I'm in the middle of reading 1984. Somehow I was, I got a five on the AP English test in high school and uh, graduated summa cum laude with an English degree in college without ever reading 1984. So Handmaid's Tale I'm reading for the second time where I did read just now, but um, because I read it when it came out in 1986, but I'm actually reading 1984 for the first time. And it is, it's absolutely chilling. uh, The parallels here, which I'll, which I'll mention in a minute. But there's, there's a virtual overlay here over the real world where a new economy will be built because there's just, there's exponential growth potential, uh, for the, um, the humanitarian capitalists is how they want us to see them. 
who are the, the globalists, the 3000 top asset holders in the world who have planned this or are part of it and are developing all the components of this are literally, um, not only are there probably 3000 people who are kind of going to be in on this, but then there's going to be that thin layer of management in between. And there's whole industries. Some of you are in those industries that are going to be that thin layer of management that are actually going to be the police state. You're actually, you think you're a teacher, you think you're a flight attendant, you're actually going to become the forced police state for this agenda. And you're not, you're not going to be in on it. They're not going to reward you for that. You won't be necessarily as in a desperate poverty as the people, you know, that you see around you in the inner city right now who are already poor. Um, but if you read 1984, the main character is basically you. If you are middle class, educated, have a professional job, and you're involved right now in developing the software, like the software coders, the teachers, the flight attendants are the ones that off the top of my head I can think of who I think will be involved in um, being the police for everyone else. Like you didn't go into teaching. Every teacher I know right now hates their job. Like talk to any teacher and they're just like, this isn't, this isn't what I signed on for. Like I'm not spending my time teaching and I don't think they will. Everything about education is about to change, but um, I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. The basic idea backing up here is that they're, they're always going to introduce each new layer of this as, as fun or as earning something for yourself or as good for you or as being against poverty or as against environmental damage. Just, just watch like when you hear Justin Trudeau speak or Boris Johnson or um, Biden, you know, they just weave into it this mythology and they're very vague about it. Like how it's actually going to, you know, save us from environmental damage to cancel 60,000 jobs on the Keystone pipeline, for instance. But their intention is they can't, they're not ready to do it yet because they have to have thousands at a time to trade in bulk. But their intention is to trade in human capital bonds and things that you do not currently think of as being profitable to rich people, rich companies will become in this new system will become highly profitable to the globalists who are very, very gradually, but quite rapidly moving to get you under complete control before you wake up and get organized enough with others to stand up to it. That's their enemy. That's their risk. That's what keeps them up at night is they're worried that we're going to organize against them and stand up to it. They know they're in a race against the clock in Utah. We've gotten pretty organized and we're pushing back against every crappy thing our governor does to us. Every crappy thing our legislate legislators do to us. We call them out on it, like I mentioned, SB um, 195. Probably by the time you're hearing this, SB 195 will be passed into law. And all the legislators want to tell us about it is, oh, it's much better. It's just much better. Well, it didn't give the didn't give the rights back to the people that were unconstitutionally stolen from us. Um, I didn't want to go out there and say I'm against it because um, there's a lot of people I work with in the freedom fight who felt like that's exactly what they want because then they can just continue on with the horrible law that was on the books that they were using. They've been using um, emergency powers for what a year now. That's not what that law was drawn up for. It was for, you know, if there's a, a tornado or a hurricane, but they've been using it for over a year now with no end in sight, all 50 States still have a declared emergency. 
here we are almost a year in all 50 states still have declared emergency, including, including Florida. I'll mention that again, too. But um, in Utah, we're driving our legislature crazy. I mean, the legislators are really showing how not used to it they are to have um, their constituents pushing back on them. And that's okay. We'll train them what it feels like to have the people who elected them have something to say to them about their voting record and where they stand. I mean, some of them are downright insulting to us as they write back to us. And most of them don't even write back to us. Um, but at least they're responsive. Some, the ones who are responsive, like I don't, I don't ever get abusive when I'm talking to legislators because if one is talking to me, it's like, well, at least this person is willing to engage with their, uh, constituent and, and, you know, my own legislators, they're not at all abusive to me. One of them almost never writes me back. And the other one says she's on our team, but I'm kind of watching her voting record. She's a new legislator and, it's really tempting for them to get in there and start making deals. They got to vote this way on that thing to get this guy to vote this way on her thing. It's, it's a very rare individual that will do the right thing regardless of all the deal making and wanting to be cool in the cool kids club and wanting to be invited to the cocktail parties. Um, but yeah, so we're driving our legislature crazy and it's good for them, but our governor, he's completely inaccessible to the people. Just see, just find a way. If you can even get access to your governor, we can't leave him a voicemail. Okay, he's canceled that. After he got elected, he got rid of the line to leave him the message. Um, you can't message him. You can't You can't email him. You can't call him. He never shows up anywhere in person. If he does, he shows up with 15 Utah Highway Patrol and runs from the room as soon as he as soon as he does. You can't you can't reach him in any in any way. Like, what's wrong with this picture, right? That's completely disturbing to have an elected official who's completely and totally inaccessible to the people. There's no feedback loop there. So to date, it's been political conservatives who've been speaking up. It tends to be political conservatives, I would say 95% of the time, who are like, hey, we don't like what's going on here. We want our freedom back. We want our medical choice or whatever. But what's interesting is that Allison McDowell has always identified in her life. She's about my age. Uh, I think she's 52. She identified as a political liberal. And now she says she's sort of politically homeless because political liberals won't stand with her. They won't even engage with her content. And while I've been surprised that my liberal friends went right along with the agenda immediately and believed everything they saw in mainstream media, I do know quite a few liberals who are questioning at least the COVID vaccine. Right. At least that they don't want to be forced to take the covid vaccine. A lot of them. And that's partly because some of the liberals I know are in health and wellness and are aware of the controversies in the vaccine history and industry. I was sort of amazed at the beginning of this, that the ACLU has been completely quiet on the abuses of human rights, including freedom of speech all year since the whole scandemic started. ACLU has stood up for nobody's rights as all of our human rights are being trampled. But then this week, Utah stands up to um, what's happening in sports where transgendered uh, men who are becoming women or have become women. Um, there's a house bill this week in Utah based on the fact that we don't even have any in Utah that anybody knows of where a transgendered person is playing on a girls team. But there's an MMA uh, transsexual fighter who cracked the skull of a woman that 
whatever you want to say, he, she, but yeah, we're supposed to say she, but I'm trying to make a point here. Uh, he slash she actually cracked the skull of a woman that he slash she was fighting and that, that woman had not been told, you know, and that's the thing. We make laws like this. That woman in MMA didn't even know that she was actually fighting a biological male. So we have this bill in the books um, against transsexual men who have become women competing in female sports because it's going to ruin female sports. I mean, the minute uh, a, a transsexual male who's become a woman walks in the room, you can put you can put him on um, beta blockers and put him on hormones for a few years and he'll still have three times as much testosterone as a woman does, plus, you know, different muscle mass, right? So all of a sudden this week, I realized the ACLU isn't dead. I thought maybe it went away or something because all of a sudden it's totally ferocious about, about that issue, even though it hasn't said a word, wouldn't give me a call back when I was looking for a human rights lawyer at, when everything was going on at the beginning of, uh, beginning of the scamdemic. So, um, I mean, I'm being a little facetious here, but it looks like the ACLU only fights for identity politics, doesn't fight for the civil rights of all of us. So the idea here is a lot of us are arriving at the conclusion that we're going to have to form communities and maybe those communities aren't based on political conservatives versus political liberals. Maybe it's based on the fact that we all commit to care about and to love um, other human beings while everybody else is out there dividing up into little boxes and throwing punches and canceling each other. Um, and our Thursday groups become that much more important. If you haven't heard my interview of Pam Popper a few episodes ago, make sure you go listen to that because what I'm learning here from Allison McDowell makes our Thursday groups um, that much more important. There's now another function for us to come together as groups because if we can't, if we can't win this thing by suing them, like Pam Popper is doing with Ohio stands up the lawsuit and New Mexico has filed a, a lawsuit and I, um, have been in conversation with a Utah attorney this week, thought I may have found the person who would, who would run our bill. Instead, what he said is, I don't, I don't know that we can just storm the castle like she's doing. She's very brave to be doing that. That may be exactly what they want. And what we may be doing that is a better spend of our time and energy is we may just form separate communities. And by communities, I don't mean that we move, sell our house and go move out to, uh, you know, Nanti and buy 2,000 acres and live there. In fact, I don't, I don't even think that would work, right? Um, so if we if we can't win by fighting them on their turf, then maybe we we win by forming our own organization, like an airtight, a legally airtight private membership organization, and we start building from there. So in one of Allison's talks that I listened to, an audience member said, you know, I was a liberal because of the climate change stuff and the environmental stuff. But now I'm awake to how weaponized those issues have been by this agenda. So that's what they've done to the political left is that they've used climate change to force an agenda that has absolutely nothing to do with saving the environment. So that kind of gave me hope that if we can wake up enough liberals to this reality um, we can maybe come together like Allison McDowell and I are doing, even though we maybe see things differently. I was once actually a political liberal myself. You know, that saying of, if you don't, 
if you're not a liberal in your twenties, you don't have a heart. And if you're not um, a conservative in your thirties, you don't have a brain. That was totally me. I, I did some time as a political liberal and just felt like a pebbles in my shoe. And I realized that I could be every bit as compassionate um, as a political conservative. So, you know, I just figured that out through life experience. So then I figured out that the government providing services, you know, I learned this by working for the government. I figured out that that just leads to a big fat bloated government who has absolutely no incentive whatsoever to solve the social problem. And I worked inside the system. I worked for a school. I worked for a prison. I worked for a hospital. Um, and I could just keep on going. I learned that they literally won't solve the social problem. They're not even interested in solving the social problem because that'll put them right out of a job. It'll decrease their budget. So on the flip side, what Allison McDowell is waking us up to is that you, if you create a global incentive for the richest guys in the world to profit off of poverty, then you have no incentives to stop poverty. Okay, let me say that again. What we're doing here, what they are trying to do with this globalist agenda is create new markets that will give incentives to the richest people in the world to profit off of poverty. And if that's the case, then you have no incentive to stop poverty. I mean, you know, McDowell points out that if Amazon had been paying taxes, right? I read that Bezos pre-scandemic actually like 2018, I believe, earned $11 billion in earnings. And I know that's like tripled now. So I don't know what he made in 2020, but let's just say it's $30 billion. If he's still paying $0 in taxes, you know how many social problems that would solve? But we don't. He didn't pay any taxes. And so now we have to listen to the world's billionaires telling us how they're going to profit off of global poverty. I mean, that's how sick these people are. Right. So if, if you listen to their words, you got to realize that none of their words sound like profiting off of poverty. And these people are not stupid. They didn't get this wealthy by being stupid. And they are certainly aren't going to name this what it is. Okay. So you've got to realize that they say one thing and they mean another. You know, and I, I reached out to Alice and I texted her and I said, you know, you really need a glossary because I was struggling to keep up and writing down the words that you used and these organizations and the people who had them. And I didn't understand what all the, like, you know, human capital bonds. I was like, what are you talking about? So like I said, I've done more research for this multi-part series where I sort of assess Alison McDowell's work and sort of nail the high level parts of it and sort of tease out what this means for you and me. That's what I'm good at is, Here's what this means for you and me um, in plain English so that anybody can understand it. Her stuff is pretty heady and I still absolutely recommend, and I'll put it in the show notes, the three talks that she gave that I listened to as preparation for this work of, of mine here today. Um, and all three of those talks are three hours each. So, and they're absolutely worth it. Okay. I value your time. I value my own time, right? Like I worked till 9 PM, seven days in a row, just, so that I could catch up on all her content and be able to build some comments about it. But once, once the infrastructure and the conditioning and the laws are in place, they're not going to have to sell us on much when, when, you know, the next big emergency 
or pandemic is brought to us. I mean, walk out your front door right now. Even here in Florida, where the governor is fighting for us, he's fighting for our freedom while most Floridians don't even care about their freedom. Okay, but you can walk out your door even here in Florida to see evidence of that. You know, everybody just puts their mask on the minute they walk out of their house. You don't even have to tell them to. You know, we've sat in restaurants and watched people walk in, even here in Flagler Beach, where, you know, you don't have to. You don't have to wear a mask. Nobody's going to make you in the vast majority of places. Um, all these small family-owned businesses, but people put their masks on anyway. So they're not going to have to do all the legal battles. They're being waged right now. And so SB 195 uh, is the government was supposed to rein in the health department and the labor commission, which makes no sense that the governor government makes a law to rein in the health department and the labor commission when the government is what made the bad law in the first place. Um, but uh, like I said, I think by the time you hear this SB 195 will probably be law in Utah and the legislators will be very defensive because they'll say, well, it's better than what we had before. And maybe that's, maybe that's good enough for some people that it's, better socialism than before. Um, but I, I didn't ask them to just say no to Senate bill 195 because that may be what they wanted to just shut it down and then blame it on us. So we still have this horrible draconian law in the books that they've leveraged the past year. I wanted them to change it. Okay. Because they slipped some really draconian stuff into it and, and it's not good. It's not good for what they've set up for the next big pandemic. So I mentioned in part one that if you pay attention, you can see that there are beta tests going on and you can see the mainstream media reporting on those beta tests, or you might even say spinning those beta tests. Um, they've been going on daily for a year now, all day, every day. And I believe that they're testing um, public reaction to each of their beta tests. Um, but <clears throat> for instance, the oil and gas pipeline on Biden's first day in office, he canceled the Keystone Pipeline in North Dakota. And some people are estimating that it's going to cost the U.S. and and probably some of these are Canadian jobs as well. It's going to cost up to 60,000 jobs. And Biden claims that we just have to do it. We just have to do it and suck it up because, well, we have to depend on green energy more. Never mind that we didn't prepare in advance so that we didn't just pull the rug out from under 60,000 people. And, um, you know, and just cancel all these tens of thousands of jobs. But you'll see our new federal government virtue washing the terrible things that they do to us to justify these predatory systems. And that is key in understanding the many organizations involved in this global reset and the words that they use, the names of their organizations, the names of their programs, the way they describe them, Okay, all of the propaganda, it's important to understand, like I said, that they say one thing and they mean another. They use euphemisms better than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, it's almost entertaining if it weren't for the fact that all of this is, is you know, my and my children's slavery, right? But it's absolutely brilliant. Like they talk about nudges. So you're going to hear this word nudges if you pay attention to who out there is building the the means of their own slavery and yours and mine. Okay, and that's the way these softwares, and Alison McDowell said there are over a hundred 
um, software companies in Utah. Okay. Northern Utah County is called Silicon Slopes because there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of software companies that have, you know, risen up and, you know, that were started up 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And now some of them are multi-million or multi-billion dollar companies, but um, these softwares are going to put nudges into them for our gamified pathways. So they put us on a pathway and I'll give you an example in a minute that have ways of reminding us of the punishments coming our way. If we don't make the right choice as well as the rewards, if you do it their way. So the gamified pathways have both these nudges are like the carrots and the sticks. Okay. So, but the carrot might be, if you're thinking that the carrot is a free trip to Mexico, the, the carrot might be that you get to eat this week. Right. So this energy crisis that just got kicked off in Texas that I've been telling you, I, I, t- I was saying almost a year ago that we're going to have an energy crisis and that we're going to see, you know, power failures. Um, I'm actually surprised it took this long. Um, but what I couldn't have predicted is how it's being sold as solving climate change. Just amazing to me. I mean, it's, it, it speaks to how dumbed down Americans are that there's anybody who believes this because it's just, just double speak. Of course, that's all. You know, you've probably seen the people on social media taking handfuls of that quote snow that fell in places that almost never get snow, like Texas and places that literally do never get snow, like some places in the Middle East. But there are people in Texas who take a handful of this stuff and they, they, um, use like a, a lighter on it and the stuff turns black and doesn't melt. And you probably have seen the Texans who are talking about how they just had crazy uh, several days of chemtrails in the sky before the quote Arctic blast, the Arctic blast. So, you know, just examples of these beta tests are, you know, like in North Dakota, you know, that they lose tens of thousands of jobs. And in Texas, you got governor Abbott is going head to head with Biden. I don't think very highly of governor Abbott in Texas. Um, I'm surprised that Texas elected such a kind of quasi liberal governor. Um, but the Biden administration, I think, is lying to the people about why their power went out. And suddenly there's a bunch of people in Texas, apparently, who got electric bills that could could bankrupt them. So just think of these as beta tests. And another example is like, you know, they, they put a toe in the water. They test it in Florida. Um, I think that the Biden administration and remember by Biden administration, I mean the people that control Biden. I think of, of Joe Biden as, um, the dead guy in weekend at Bernie's, but DeSantis is having to stand up to Biden because Biden let it float out into the media that he might impose travel restrictions in and out of Florida. Now imagine what that would do to Florida's economy, right? Florida is heavily dependent on tourism, um, I'm selling rental properties in Park City and moving them into the panhandle in Florida. And you can't even, you can't even play in that market unless you have cash and you're willing to play way over asking price. I mean, every good property in the panhandle of Florida right now, um, especially in the part of the panhandle where I'm trying to, to, um, get out of the long, long-term rental market with my tenants being told that they don't have to pay rent if they just say COVID, right? You got 20% of Americans not paying their rent. So I'm moving my two condos in Park City into the panhandle so I can do short-term rentals. Well, look what that would do to 
the tourism industry in Florida, if Biden says, oh, because of COVID, I'm going to make everybody who flies in and out of Florida get a PCR test and quarantine for two weeks. Well, DeSantis heard that in the media and he really stood up to Biden and he said, this is, I just love DeSantis. He's just trending in social media every single day. And, you know, I've been in love with him for, I don't know, since he woke up six or eight months ago. And I know I talk about him too much, but he's a lot of people are waking up to how amazing this guy is. And I really want to know why the cabal hasn't been able to get to him, but he uses science to stand up to this scam from the Biden administration. He says, Hey, there's 28 states and the district of Columbia that have higher per capita COVID infection than Florida does. So why would you impose travel restrictions? We will not allow it. We will not stand for it. But I think that this is interesting too on a high level because just take note of how the federal government, um, who's also just a puppet, go, go higher, the globalists are actively persecuting the red states. And I think one of the reasons is probably just catch them up to the economic devastation of the other states that have been super compliant, like Cuomo's New York and Newsom's California and Inslee's Washington, Whitmer's Michigan, all those states. So again, I really want to emphasize that Allison McDowell's work, um, three of her talks are in the show notes. I literally would love for you to watch all three of them. It'll be some of the best time you've spent just getting up to speed on what's going on and who all the players are. It's intentionally complex. It's intentionally hard to understand. And so what I'm trying to do here with my own synthesis of her work is make it super, super accessible and basic. She kind of takes you to that next level. She's going to go deeper dive with you and name names. Um, I would imagine she has spent a thousand hours of research or more to be able to do the talk that she flew into Utah to do last week. That's the first one I give you. And then the second talk she gave is with a guy named Joseph Gonzalez, who is a gaming software engineer. And every word he says is fire. Like, listen to what that guy has to say. He is totally wide awake. He's way down, way down the rabbit hole like she is. And then there's a third talk that my colleague Sayer G did with Allison McDowell is also fantastic. And so I recommend you go in that order and just, you'll have to take it in chunks. I did too. Like I'd listen to it for an hour while I worked out and then I'd listen to it for 30 minutes when I drove that kind of thing. So do that. Even the Q and a in those talks is really worth listening to because the people following Allison McDowell are very well researched, you know, virtually all of them and even their questions and their comments are really helpful if you're trying to get up to speed on what's really going on in our world. So Allison McDowell says, anticipating profound disruption of the global economy, the 2000 wealthiest people and organizations of the world have developed a plan for you. It's called the impact management project. Um, I might call it imp. Um, let me say that again. The, the 2000 wealthiest people and organizations of the world, because they, they know that there's going to be a huge disruption in the global economy, have developed a plan for you, for all the people of the world. It's called the Impact Management Project. Remember that. We need to get more people woken up to the Impact Management Project, as well as um, the whole um, capitalizing on human misery that is being planned for us in Davos. Okay, but these 2,000 biggest asset holders in the world have joined together to come up with this 
project. But if I were just giving you the shorthand of what is possible from this, and I think it'll happen slowly and gradually, I think the reason imp exists is to make you their slaves. Okay. And they're going to use lots of pretty words mixed in with some confusing words, some boring words. Okay. Though you put those together, the pretty words and the confusing slash boring words. Um, you've got yourself lots of propaganda. You've got lots of jargon to lull you to sleep and make you feel that the reason that so many groups came together, you know, they've, they've got their logos listed out in the, um, the imp. And they've asked for those who haven't given their logos yet to upload their logo. And so I think the reason they're showing all these logos of all these different um, entities is so that you take a look at it. If you're not wide awake to this and you haven't listened to this podcast or to Alison McDonald's um, webinars that she's done, you would take a look at it and go, oh, it must be a really good thing to have so many different organizations coming together. They just, they really want to solve problems like poverty and climate change and the broken free market system and this looming energy crisis. They, they must really be coming together to solve these huge problems so that you don't actually think that their goal is profit and how they can be the elite who control you and me, all us little people who aren't in the 2000 or 3000 organizations behind Davos and behind IMP. Okay. And they, they think of us as if we're cattle. They don't know us. They're not worrying about our future, but, but those words they use are really going to test your critical thinking skills and they'll make you want to believe the best of them. You'll really want to. You're going to, let me just tell you, your psychology is you're going to listen to me. You're not going to want to believe me. And when you hear them, you're going to want to believe. You're going to desperately want to believe that they are really going to solve poverty and climate change. As I was texting with Allison McDowell, I would have to ask her, what does this mean? Like you use this word, like, what does that mean? I had to really go deep. And I said to her, impact investing is such a like vague word. And I doubt there's one in a hundred people who could even give a, a definition of that, you know, in the United States or in the world, you know, but, but what that really means is, and I told her, Hey, we need a glossary here. And he, then she sent me a glossary that she's built on her website, wrenchinthespokes.com. Uh, but she sent me a glossary and I was like, okay, but you know, we need to add some words to it because I didn't even know, you know, what impact investing was, what that is. And there are thousands of very rich individuals investing in this. It is investing in digital surveillance for purposes of control. Okay. So listen, I don't care if you graduated college. I don't care if you got three degrees or if you didn't graduate high school, okay? I Right now, what you need uh, more than knowledge is you need critical thinking skills. And that's that ability to question, okay? To do more than just memorize facts and be a good test taker. You know, some people come out of college with degrees or two degrees or three degrees, and that's all they did. You know, they were really good. It's just like memorizing stuff and spitting it out on tests. Frankly, my liberal arts education, and I think liberal arts educations might just go away, in this new great reset, um, if we aren't successful at pushing back, I think that my liberal arts education helped massively in developing my own critical thinking skills. So I would actually argue for um, at least the uh, at least the formal education I got, whatever it was, thirty something years ago. I would say that it really helped me develop my own critical thinking skills. I came from a home 
were questioning the dogmas I, t- I was taught, especially the religious dogmas, was totally taboo. Like you get yelled at or punished if you question any of those dogmas because they were the truth. It was black and white. Obedience was the primary character trait that my mother was going for. That to her was, uh, you've, you've created a good adult human if they're very obedient. But you, you had to be able to argue your point to survive the sort of sledgehammer drill sergeant style mothering that I got, my siblings and I got, and which was often a verbal assault. And so we had some advantages and some disadvantages in the way we grew up. But, but again, not all education paths are necessarily going to help you develop good critical thinking abilities. And now's a good time to ask yourself, do you question what you hear and read? When you hear the propaganda, do you see the meaning behind it? And are you able to ferret out what they're really saying? If so, that's, that's good critical thinking skills, right? It's not just being cynical, right? It's more than that. It's the ability to connect the dots. And I'm sure you're hearing a lot of people you know, especially if you look at like the social media fights that break out constantly over all the issues around COVID, you hear people who are awake using the term critical thinking skills, because we're also amazed that a year ago, we saw all these people that we thought of as really smart and even really educated, not questioning the insanity as it rolled out. And when two weeks to flatten the curve, for instance, turned out to be a total lie. And then Whatever the media dished out to explain it or to cover for that lie, they just kept believing it and they kept rolling with the string of lies. And so some people finish a PhD and actually have really bad critical thinking skills. Um, lots of medical doctors are ferociously pro COVID narrative, right? And other people I know who, you know, maybe finished eighth grade, but totally think for themselves and they question authority. They have good critical critical thinking skills. Okay. Some people are just calling it common sense, but it's, it's more than that. Right. And that's when you actually notice when one piece of information contradicts another and you dig into various research to ask the question, why don't these match up when you've got that cognitive dissonance, you notice you do something about it. You go study it. You ask other people, you know, who are, who are studying and questioning, you ask them questions and get their take on it. So I've been doing for a year now my own research and lots of questions. I ask other people who I know are digging just as deep. And so, you know, people who are trying to find out the reason, um, I think it's really the reason why you even show up here on the vibe show and give me your time. I wish I was like helping develop the critical thinking skills of people who don't have any, but you, you show up here because, you know, maybe more than knowledge, you know, maybe you showed up here in the beginning because of my knowledge, right? The book learning, on health and wellness. But I think what my audience cares about more is that I, I have pretty damn good critical thinking skills. And by the way, so does Alison McDowell, very, very good critical thinking skills. And she's also really fair. And she'll, you know, like I try to do, which is is say, well, I think it's possible that they think they're doing good things. And it's possible that some of the things they'll do will be good right? Like, let's hope that even though they're creating an industry around poverty and misery, maybe they will not, hedge funds will not make bets that uh, more people will commit suicide. I mean, you can literally monetize and create a market out of selling blocks of social services for, let's say, thousands of people 
and betting that this software, this solution decreases suicide. Well, that looks like a good thing. But what if a hedge fund actually bets on or shorts suicide so that they're actually betting that more suicides will happen and then they're, it's highly profitable when they're right and there's more suicides? Just sit with that for a second. Think about that for a second. When we create profit motives for there to be more poverty and more human suffering. So I've done a lot of that kind of content here on the Vibe Show in another realm. For instance, um, if you're new here and you haven't listened to my show all along, you know, I've done an episode on, you know, helping you not buy into the complete and utter bullshit of the microbiome tests. For instance, some of the companies are Ubiome, Viome. I think more will pop up unless there's a huge scandal and people figure out what a scam they are. But these guys tell you what to eat based on a lab analysis of your poop. Okay. So, uh, you know, and you send it in, like, I'd love to see people who follow me not spend $69 a month to send in a sample of their poop to a lab and have um, the people at one of those companies tell them what their diet should be based on their poop. It's, it's literally literally complete and utter bullshit. That's actually funny now that I think about it. Um, I did another episode on the total bullshit that is the food sensitivity testing. So if you've bought in on that and you love to go around telling people because you got one of these tests that you're allergic to this food or that food, probably not. Probably not. Did a whole episode on that. So these are these are critical thinking skills and they've never been in shorter supply among the human population. And they've never been um, more important. They've never been more important because, you know, like if you're just, if you're educated, but you don't have critical thinking skills, you might go to the, the Viome website and you can click on a study that if you just look at it, there's like 12 references at the end of that study. And if you were educated, but you didn't have critical thinking skills, you might look at it and go, oh, that. That uh, poop lab test must be legit because there's 12 scientific references here. Okay, but if you have critical thinking skills, you might click into those references. And after five minutes of clicking around in those references, you'd realize, hey, those references don't have anything to do with the efficacy of the Viome poop lab analysis, right? So think how valuable that is in deciding whether or not to spend $69 every month and literally send your poop into a lab. I mean, that's how dumb we've gotten as people and, and the kind of crazy places that the healthcare system. Oh, that's another one. The healthcare system is going to be the new cops, going to be the new police. One of the industries that is turned into the police state in this new, uh, total digital slavery and this new augmented reality. So today, you know, just wanting you to have more clues and more knowledge, more evidence, more vocabulary. Uh, I think some of you are going to listen to this episode twice. Some of you will send these episodes uh, reviewing the plans of the globalists, but, but their vocabulary is so important because they choose their words really carefully. And these words that they choose are literally designed to put you in a trance. Okay, I'm talking about who the globalists are and I'm talking about what exactly they are doing all over the globe to close the door on any possibility that you and your children have any freedom returned to you whatsoever that you lost a year ago, because what they want is your DNA. 
They want nothing less than your DNA, which will be your digital fingerprint. They want your actual fingerprints too. They want to know everything about you, not because you're special or famous or a threat or some big talent they need so much as that they need that to feed their virtual reality that is launching the biggest new market of your lifetime, if not history. Okay, you know what else they want? I'm sorry to send cold chills down your spine right now, but I'm a truth teller. I'm just going to say it. What they want even more than digital images of your eyes and every fingerprint of yours and your DNA, what they want even more is your children and your grandchildren. And they want all that because you and lots of people like you, you know, you're, you're sort of a has-been. You've seen your best years, and you already have some opinions, and you already know a lot about history, but your children and your grandchildren don't. And if they can educate them or indoctrinate slash brainwash them, however you want to think about it, they can raise them up to be a very, very powerful commodity. And that's what they want to do. Okay, But lots of people like you are going to be packaged and bundled together and sold or aspects to your virtual twin no different than slaves were sold 250 years ago to the highest bidder. So let's let's talk a little bit about how poverty monetizes and how behaviorism is the school of psychological thought that is super, super useful to the globalists. One, one of the biggest things I got from Allison McDowell's research is that as counterintuitive as it sounds, poverty is being monetized and and while that should give you cold chills self, um, because poverty is a blight on the world, right? It always has been, but some really brilliant globalists have figured out how to securitize debt and sell it. Uh, and so they're in a way they're selling us or the virtual reality or the digital twins of each of us, the gamified social programs that many of us will be in, if not all of us. And they sell them or they will sell them as their plan is to sell them as social impact bonds. So even though you're not going to remember every one of these words, I just want you to hear them and let them sink in. Social impact bonds. This is absolutely chilling. Okay. Some of the richest people in the world are about to make loads more money in the great reset you've been hearing about because of blockchain technology and 5G. They've got to have blockchain technology and 5G. These are the technologies that have to be in place for this to work. I just, I just read about, I'm trying to think where it was, a big city that just said no to 5G. It's happened around the world. There are places that are standing up to it. I mean, what, do we really need faster internet? That's the only good thing about it for us, right? They need 5G for their global plans. That's why they're selling it to us. But of course they tell us it's faster internet. Like, like we want to spend money on that, right? And with blockchain technology and 5G, they'll be able to um, monetize and digitize you and your children and make virtual identical realities of you online where they can make you jump through their hoops to, to get your little reward, right? Which might be, might be just food, right? Or it might be a larger geofence, right? They could make you wear a technology or they could embed it or they could inject it into you. Maybe they are injecting it into us. How would we know? How would we know what's in the the COVID vaccine, right? We know that there's a lot about that COVID vaccine that's never happened before in vaccines. We've not had an mRNA vaccine. There's three excipients in there that have never been in an approved 
uh, a vaccine before. Um, but you know, you could have something in there that, um, tracks you. Okay. My husband just told me this week and said, Hey, give me your phone. I just found out that you can turn your phone on or it is turned on by default to tell when you leave the house. It knows when you leave your house. So he went in my phone and turned that off. And that's great. We can turn it off now. Um, but you could be, for instance, one of your little tokens that you earn is that you could, you could earn a larger geofence. Like maybe, you know, if you won't get the vaccine or you won't do this or you're not productive enough in your online job, maybe you're not allowed to leave your house. You can't leave your front, front door. Maybe you're allowed to go five miles away. Okay. Ge- geofences are totally in place. This is entirely possible right now. Or maybe you're allowed to go not just five miles away, but if you jump through a lot of their hoops and do everything right, maybe you're allowed to go all the way to the state borders of your state. See how they're setting this up is by their understanding of, of human psychology. And it's not a lot different than Pavlov's dogs. Okay. Do you remember, um, he had like psychology 101 in college. You probably learned about Pavlov's dogs and, and they know a lot about what makes people tick from these, uh, behaviorists. It's a, it's a school of thought that I went into grad school myself as a psychologist to, uh, that was the thing that resonated with me most because everything else seemed, you know, like just some theory that there was, there was less science behind it. So at first I was a, was a behaviorist until I realized, well, I just basically bought into people being animals. And of course we're more than that. We are absolutely more than that. We are divine. We are made in the image of God, but you know, there's a lot of things that we do that are wired similar to animals. So for instance, Pavlov's dogs, we, they pair, paired a bell to when they got fed, right? And then eventually all they had to do is ring the bell and the dogs would start salivating, right? Reminds me of the, the people in the masks right now. About six months ago, we were still in Park City and we were, we had a friend who was supposed to meet us for dinner. And she comes walking up, up to us and we're at an outdoor table at this restaurant. She's wearing a mask, but she walks up to us and she's like, hi. And John and I were like, why are you wearing a mask? And she's like, oh, I just, I just don't think about it anymore. I don't think about it anymore. I'm just addicted to it. Okay. Don't let yourself become so conditioned. Don't let your, don't, don't cancel people in your life. Don't cancel people on social media. I mean, somebody's abusive and you block them. I get it, but, but realize that's what they want. That's falling into their trap. Get out of the boxes that you're in. They want us all in these little boxes based on our ethnicity or our status as identifying with a religious group or, or they want us in the pro and anti-mask boxes. Be smarter than that. Don't be a dog in a Pavlovian experiment. And also start keeping a journal, like a printed journal and talk about how the world was when, when everything as we knew it ended a year ago. Okay, because this is eventually going to be forbidden. I will predict that for you. Okay, maybe I've been reading too many science fiction novels, but you know, it's crazy about 1984 is that when George Orwell published that as a pen name, he actually has a different name, can't remember it. Um, but when he wrote that, I don't know how he could have known it, but it, it all happened. Like what he wrote about, it happened in China, it happened in Mao Zedong's China. And it's still going on. I mean, those people in China, even though that dude is the most prolific serial killer in history, he may have killed up to a hundred million people. You weren't even allowed to have a thought against him. You certainly couldn't verbalize anything. It was even slightly against him. But, you know, reading 1984 that I'm in the middle of right now, 
there's going to come a time when we're not even allowed. If, if this continues to get traction right now, they're winning right now. They are winning. There's going to come a time when not only is this content going to be gone from the inter- internet, but you know, they're going to do a lot of book burning and they're going to do a lot of rewriting of the news. That's what the main character in 1984 does. His name is Winston Smith. And he literally goes through the old news and he rewrites it to get rid of the people they vaporized and to change the version of events so that it makes the current totalitarian regime look good. You know, and in the old, the, the history book that they rewrite to, to teach the children, they make capitalists evil and these terrible capitalists have these top hats and all they care about is abusing the people and all they care about is money. Um, it's, it's really interesting. And so, you know, what I'm seeing is that it's, it's so punishing and by, by design to be the one who won't wear the mask that you finally just start doing it. Even if you hate the mask and even if the mask makes you sick and you understand how symbolic it is. Well, the thing is the people who have done all this behavioral conditioning, they know behaviorism. Some of the organizations involved in designing and monetizing digital slavery um, the people who are creating these huge new markets, they're springing up. And a lot of these corporations are just salivating over getting their piece of the new pie. These organizations have psychologists working for them who know BF Skinner's work and they know Pavlov's works and they know John Watson's works. They know the behaviorists, um, all of them, and they know what makes humans tick. And they want to know what specifically makes you tick. So the same reason I found it unsatisfying as a therapist, the whole school of behaviorism, because I was like, well, this has some value, but I can't, I can't just take this into counseling people because people are more than this. I want to think of people as having a soul and a spirit and free will. And so I started, you know, expanding out from there and, and most therapists do, right? But the same reason I found it unsatisfying as a therapist is the same reason they've adopted it is that it's what we've all got in common that certain parts of our brain just go totally uh, dysfunctional, non-functional when we are in fear. They're going for those flock behaviors, that flock mentality. Um, I think in the the first uh, part of this, I talked about how John and I go sit on the beach and we just love watching the flocks of birds where there's like a big V formation. It's just perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And somehow these birds either are born with, you know, their pineal glands and the crystal crystal in their, um, in their brains or, or training. Maybe it's some of both. They fly in perfect formation. They're perfectly spaced out. Um, they do exactly the same things at the same altitude. When the one in front goes up, they all go up. Um, it's just geometrically uh, beautiful, but when you think about the fact that they actually want humans to fall in line like that, um, they've conditioned you for all of that in the last year. You are supposed to stand on the dot in the line. I mean, I remember when Whole Foods Market did that in Park City, and I went to the store for the first time after they put all this infrastructure in. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And there wasn't a single person who wasn't doing it, you know? So don't mentally accept it. Okay. You, you, you know, in 1984, this, this character, Winston Smith, 
who's so careful to not let on that he doesn't agree with Big Brother at all. He doesn't agree with this regime. He would do anything to be part of the resistance to overthrow it. You know, he he sneaks a uh, a journal and he has to get away from the telly screen, the telly screen that that you know can see everything that you do, and he has to kind of like go sit against the wall where the telly screen can't see him. He he buys this contraband journal and he just writes in it just to have free thought, just to be able to express his feelings, just to be able to have something to say, to record about what happened in the past that's gone. So get a journal and write down who you are, who you are, how you feel. You know what? In Handmaid's Tale, that's another thing that 1984 has in common with The Handmaid's Tale is that, you know, there's this, this story that she wrote, The Handmaid. She disappears at the end. Sorry to ruin it for you if you're going to go you're going to go read it, but later it's read by historians to try to understand this crazy totalitarian regime that that eventually fell, you know, but luckily she had written her whole story down so that people could understand what exactly was going on. So I'm not predicting that they win. Okay. Cause that's, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. I still believe there's hope. I still believe we, we can and should and have to have a moral obligation to stand up to this in every way. We can, right? So right now, as I record this episode, we're being told by Fauci, we need to wear a second mask, okay? And and without those critical thinking skills, right, we, we won't say, hey, wait a minute, I heard Fauci say like nine months ago that masks don't really work. And so then if you don't have the critical thinking skills to parse out that his answer, when confronted about that, hey, wait a minute, why are you saying we all have to wear masks and masks prevent transmission? You you were just telling us the opposite of that a few months ago. His his answer was, well, we didn't want people making a run on surgical masks when we were so low on them. I mean, think about that for a minute. He basically admitted that he lied for a political reason. And we're still, this guy's still in office and he's still the guy out in front lying to us. I mean, if you recognize the con in that, you know, congratulate yourself for having good critical thinking skills. It might sound like I'm congratulating you for being cynical and that's not totally wrong, but like I said, critical thinking allows you to connect the dots yourself. You don't just recognize the truth and the falsehood because you question things, but you can also make connections between different sets of data that you've been exposed to in your life. So right now, to avoid being a rat in the maze, though, to avoid being the salivating dogs in Pavlov's experiment, you're going to have to start asking questions, right? Avoiding certain behaviors or procedures or tests. Like, do you think that you have to get a PCR test to return from Mexico, which is Biden's new policy? I went to Mexico and I didn't. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Because some of you are going to be scratching your head and go, oh, I have to. I'm just going to let you try to puzzle that out. It'll be a little puzzle for you. How did I, with an executive order, and I have to show it at the airport, how did I manage to get home from Mexico to the United States on an airplane? all I'm going to say about that. Okay. It's a challenge for you. Listen, I don't any longer believe that we're going to rise up as a big group and defy this. I hoped for that a year ago. I fought really hard. I got people to write letters to legislators and to the governor. I ran tons of protests on the Capitol steps at the health department building in big parks. We marched down state street, took over state street in Salt Lake city. We protested for three straight weeks, morning and night in front of the governor's office. I did I did so many things like I I won't even go into all of it. I wrote a huge blog post in March of 2020 with 24 scientific references 
right? You name it. I did it. I sent it to every media outlet. Nobody was interested in it. Basically saying we're being lied to. None of them were interested in an alternative viewpoint whatsoever. Now, I think that waking people up is still really valuable. And we have to know their ways. We have to wake others up, right? We have to coalesce. I have built um, 12,000 Utah Freedom Fighters on takeactionforfreedom.com. And another 12,000 people who are around the country. But most of my fight lately has been in Utah. But, you know, so I've built that that email list of people with critical thinking skills. That's a major start. But I think we're going to have to form legal private membership organizations and we're going to have to use their laws. It's going to be legal and you won't see me putting up some big, you know, sales page for it. Right. Definitely get on the takeactionforfreedom.com mailing list for sure to stay connected to our efforts. But you aren't likely to see me making a big announcement about it. Right. Because you see how many uh, people they're taking down. But remember that Ayn Rand book, Atlas Shrugged? They didn't fight on, you know, the, the small group of people didn't fight on their playing field, right? On their turf. They just built their own thing. And I'm, I'm not the only one who's starting to think that that actually may end up being our only option here as well. So, you know, I'll never give up. I'll never give up. But, and I'm not saying that we, you know, hurry up and go scramble to live together in some off the grid compound. That not only won't work, but it also is kind of too late for that, right? There's broken supply chains. Lumber prices are like triple right now. Now's not a great time to just go build some off-the-grid place. But rather, what I'm looking into is using legal structures that the enemy already uses, okay? So they can't deny them to us um, to be able to live in this world, but not of it. We don't even have to be geographically together. So more on that later. That's not what this this episode is about, but remember government isn't necessarily the enemy that you think it is. They at least have to follow rules, right? The the really big enemy is these invisible, uh, powerful corporations. And a lot of these people hide behind the corporations. And that's why, you know, I could give you a list to the imp, which I talked about in the first um, part of this, uh, I could give you that, and it's just a lot of logos for corporations, so you'll be disappointed. You know, it's not like it just names names, and you're like, what? Elon Musk is part of this or whatever. It's, you know, it's a lot of corporations. Most of them, their names you won't even recognize, and a lot of faith organizations are in it, but they haven't turned in their logos, right? But a lot of faith organizations are involved in this and will become the police force for this. You know what? The religion that I was raised in, uh, the the head of that religion is already the police force for the vaccine and has already um, kind of lightly guilted people into getting the vaccine and saying that God brought it to us. Okay, so that's another group that you're going to see weaponized and turned into the police force. So, you know, we the people in Utah have really been pushing back to keep more of our rights rather than let a steamroller roll over the top of us. But you'll you'll want to hear that. If you feel hopeless, I don't think any of us in the freedom fight are, are going to go away, but we may have to start forming separate communities. Even if we live where we are and we have to follow a lot of their rules and pay their taxes, right? Um, you know, I don't, I don't want you to get from this that, you know, I'm just telling you, they've got us surrounded. Forget about resistance. We're doomed. I'm really, I'm really saying the exact opposite of that. I'm, 
I'm saying stop falling into flock formation. Don't get numbed out to the new normal. Okay. Even the new normal. I don't want to say that. I don't want to say their words, right? Let's call it out for what it is. It's, it's propaganda. Um, I, I really hope the opposite of that happens. I hope that everybody hearing this takes personal responsibility for preserving our culture, preserving our freedom, preserving our religions, preserving our language. You know, that's one of the things from 1984 is they were stripping down the language and getting rid of a lot of the vocabulary, protecting and preserving our way of life, our way of raising and educating our children. And there's a lot in Alison McDowell's work about what is happening. That's where she started is what was happening to the education system and all the very, very sophisticated ways that they're taking control of how our children are educated. And what I'm more afraid of than the plans of 3000 globalists who went to Davos in January of 2020, what I'm more afraid of is that not enough people will take personal responsibility and take action with others who feel like they do. I mean, the good news is nobody of the 7 billion people that the 3,000 richest people in the world intend to completely control and enslave, nobody of the rest of us, which is almost all of us, would want what I'm going to lay out for you here. I am laying out for you here. It's, it's not just political conservatives. I don't think most liberals would want to have what we have coming to us either. They've just been hypnotized by the really sophisticated charlatanism of their vocabulary and the way they pitch what is dark, what is satanic, what is slavery in words that sound like freedom and big brother looking out for us and benevolence in general. I mean, that's on the cover of the book 1984. Um, I think it was war is peace. Freedom is slavery. You know, they subvert every good thing. Kind of like how Nancy Pelosi watched the the tactics of Donald Trump and she took a Bible and held it up and started talking about freedom, talking about the Constitution. Nancy Pelosi doesn't give a crap about the Bible. She's never read the Bible. She doesn't care about the U.S. Constitution, right? But that's subverting good and making it sound evil, okay? There's going to come a day very soon. We're not already there that the word freedom, you're told you're selfish for caring about that. Okay. Don't talk about freedom in China. Okay. Communist Chinese party considers that the, the words of the enemies of the state. Okay. So freedom is slavery. Okay. They subvert everything and they flip it upside down. That is part of the agenda. So. If the globalists, the impact management project, or I call it IMP, is hard at work figuring out what makes you tick, it is hard at work getting you decoded and identified for the new system that uses blockchain and 5G, right, the internet of things, to enslave you, you better figure out what makes you tick. You better identify what your vulnerabilities are, and you better protect yourself, and you better record your life and what life was like and what freedom feels like and what your goals for your parenting are and what a healthy sexual relationship looks like. I mean, that's one of the things that these, these dystopias all have in common. That's one of the things that these totalitarian systems all have in common is that they subvert sexuality. We'll get to that more in a minute too, but you know, just really 
commit to waking others up. This is not a time for people to burrow into themselves and build a little bunker. That's not the kind of preparedness that helps you in this particular emergency, right? Right now we've, we've hunkered down into our small little safe communities of those who think like we do. But remember, there's a whole bunch of people in the middle who need education. For instance, they need to listen to this podcast. They need to catch up if they're confused about what's really going on. And we better become conscious really fast. We got to wake a lot of people up right now or die trying. That's pretty much my life's motto right now. Go big or go home. And when I say home, I mean home, like the ultimate home, my father's home, my father, capital F, my heavenly father's home. I'm not going to live a tiny life of keeping my head down and participating. There's going to come a time and it's not far off when just like in 1984 and in A Handmaid's Tale, and in A Brave New World, I just got that book too. Barring a large group of us standing up to this agenda that keeps going like it has been, you won't be able to look other people in the eye. That's one of the things these dystopias all have in common. Mao's China, you couldn't look people in the eye. You'll be too scared of them. And some of you just got cold chills from hearing that because you're already scared to look people in the eye. Especially if you're a person standing up to this. You walk into a store, you don't want to look anybody in the eye. You don't want to see how angry people are for you not being a bird flying in flock formation. Okay. There, there's going to come a time very possibly where we're scared of being caught having a disloyal thought or saying a disloyal thing or even something that somebody just thinks is disloyal to the agenda. Let's say they call it the great, the great reset. Maybe that's what they're going to call it. You know, like in 1984, it was a uh, big brother and the party. You could be, if you're in that thin layer of management, the police, you know, they're not, they're not called the police, right? Like I said, I think the health, uh, the health industry, doctors, nurses, they will be the enforcers of this. They already are. They already are. I got this letter from a flight attendant. She's like, I heard your story about what happened to you on Delta of being kicked off for life after being a platinum medallion. I'd I'd flown 1.2 million miles with Delta Delta would like, they would come find me on the airplane and kneel down next to me and say, thank you so much for flying with us, Mrs. Openshaw. And then I literally got kicked off and told, we don't want your emails. You've just lost your hundreds of thousands of miles, lost my status, can't ever fly again. And this flight attendant said, I work for United. And every day we are threatened with being fired if we do not enforce the mask mandate. That makes sense. That makes sense because when we flew to Mexico and back, I swear, every five minutes, one of these flight attendants or the pilot, the pilots would get on the intercom and threaten us nicer words than they were using a couple months ago when this started. They've gotten a lot more savvy about how to use their words. The same threat, you know, of arrest, imprisonment, huge fines, never being able to fly with them again, never being allowed in the, in the airport. That's, those are the things that we were told either from the loudspeaker, from recorded messages in the airport or in the plane saying they are the police. They thought they were flight attendants. That's what they're signing on for. And now they are the enforcers. They are part of the police state. Okay. So there may come a time when you're afraid that the look on your face might give you away. And you've had to learn to manage your face as somebody who would otherwise react negatively to propaganda. You know, in 1984, Winston Smith, and all the people, every there's two minutes hate every day. And for two minutes every day, you see whoever represents the opposition, some some guy, I don't know if he's real or, or fake, but as he talks, you have to yell and scream and throw things at the telescreen. 
and, and you have to do it really ferociously or the people around you will see that you don't have much zeal for it and you could get turned into the thought police. I mean, this just sounds ridiculous, right? This sounds ridiculous, but it happened. It happened in the Cultural Revolution in China. This has happened in countries of our world. We aren't so precious. We aren't so protected here in the United States of America that that could never happen to us. You know, another thing that these books all had in common is that you might end up being afraid of your own children. All of this is the stuff of science fiction, right? And other communist or totalitarian systems. That's actively happening to us right now. A lot of us are going to become afraid of our own children in the next decade, maybe sooner than that. You know what else? A lot of us are going to become really disconnected from real human sexuality in the next decade. You know, just like our children, many, many people my age find it disturbing that so many kids are confused about their gender or they hook up rather than date. You know, they, they spend time with the opposite gender, but they never go on a date or, or, you know, there's so many of our young people who get really into porn that they literally don't know how to make human connections anymore. And all of that set the stage for where we are right now. And that porn and that Netflix and that gaming generation set us up perfectly for where they want to take us next. Okay, so I'm always preaching that we need to take actions that are meaningful against this and join with other like-minded people. But we also, I haven't heard anybody say this, but we need to start guarding our minds. We need to start guarding our minds. We need to start checking our minds. And we need to check and guard our hearts. So with that, I'll pick up next time and... Our part three will pick up where we talk about how the education system, according to Allison McDowell, is going to radically change. I mean, you shouldn't be surprised that they're going to change education, right? Because in most states, the education system has been pretty much shut down for months. And we're pretending that our kids can get the same thing by, you know, looking at the computer screen. I mean, that makes no sense for six-year-olds to look at a computer screen and get what they could get from interacting in small groups with you know, classmates and with a teacher, a caring teacher whose full-time job is is to help them and to educate them. Well, we just overnight had to flip to a new modality, but guess what? The education system's gonna gonna change a lot, and that's where I'll pick up with part three. I'll see you then. 